Well, praise the Lord. <clears throat> it feels so good in the house tonight. So good, so good it feels. You hardly, it's almost like you get up here and you don't know what to do at this point because you almost didn't want to leave worship because worship felt so right. And then Sister Lifer got up here and she spoke the truth and testified to us and and you almost didn't want her to sit down because that just felt so right. But i got to tell you that I know, I am convinced tonight that God wants to do something in our lives. And if you need anything at all tonight, anything at all, whatever it is that you might need, the Bible says that if we will seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, all these other things will be added. You know, that gives me comfort. That lets me know that I don't have to come in here worrying about what went on this week at work. What's going on with my bills or what's going on with my family or anything at all. Because when I enter this house and I start to seek the things of God, those things are already going to be taken care of. When my mind is in the right place, God starts providing without me even worrying. So tonight, as we go into the service and we get into the preaching, let's just keep our mind on Him. And let's let Him work things out. If we stay focused on Him, I'm confident He will provide. So I'm going to take you to the book of John, chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. John, chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn it, to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. And so, God, I just want you to have your hand on this service. And would you touch me and give me the words, God, to speak tonight, that you would accomplish whatever it is, God, your will. And we trust tonight, God, that you will do something in our lives. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. I want you to go back with me to the time when the tabernacle was present and to the camp of the children of Israel. And I want us to go back to the seventh month and the tenth day. And if you were there in camp, you would see the fact that the priest would be preparing an offering. But not just the priest, it would be the high priest would be preparing an offering. And you would notice that they were dressed differently this day. That they weren't wearing the same clothes that they wore on an everyday occasion. But today, you would obviously be able to see was something special. This was a day that all the people in the camp, they would be fasting while the priests were preparing this offering in anticipation of the outcome of what they were preparing to do. This was that one-time yearly event that took place that was ordained by God where the high priest would meet with God in the holies of holies. This was the day of atonement. And this was a day where you would just think to yourself that, that everybody in the camp would just be so excited 
for this day. And they would be so grateful and overwhelmed with thankfulness that God would meet them on this day to provide an atonement for their sins. But I want to invite you into the lives of these people and what was more than likely going through their minds on this day. You see, they were there and they knew that the rules and the regulations were that God was going to meet them and that the high priest was preparing a sacrifice and that he was going to make his way into the holies of holies. And on this day, he would offer up the sacrifice and God would accept that as a substitute for the people and their sins would be atoned for. But one thing that they had to be going through constantly circling through their minds. They had to be feeling complete anxiety at this moment on this day as they watched the priest prepare for this offering, getting things ready, shedding the blood, and, and taking steps toward the tabernacle. Their mind had to go back to all of the times where they fell short this year. They had to be thinking about how they failed and, and how God implemented laws for them to obey and he, he commanded them to do certain things. And you know they were thinking, oh, man, I failed in this area. Or in this area, I came short. And as that high priest took one step closer to make it into that tabernacle, everybody, including the high priest, was nervous because he couldn't just make his way in there any old way. Things had to be done right. And if they had not done them right, he would not make it out of there. And atonement would not take place for the people. So you can imagine the nervousness of the people every step he took. They were fasting and hoping for the right outcome because God said he would do it. But they knew that they had fell completely short and did not deserve it. As he walked closer, the anxiety grew stronger. Their heart would be beating faster and faster, hoping that their things would be okay. And they would remember that last year, on this exact day, they felt the same way. And last year, much like we make New Year resolutions, when the high priest walked out of there and everything was okay and atonement did take place, they told themselves, this year I am going to live more right to what God requires of me. And they said to themselves, this year I'm going to do my best to obey what he asks of me. Man, they rejoiced and they got excited as they worshipped and they began to eat and to feast because they had made it and atonement took place and their sins were not going to be held over their heads. They were atoned for. And man, that's ripping through their heart right now as they're continuing to watch the priest make his way up there. And they just know that they failed over and over again. And, and they start thinking about that time when there was something going on in the camp and they just knew that they were not to partake of that. They knew that God absolutely would not want them to do that thing. But they allowed it to weigh on their mind. And they started thinking about it day in and day out. And, and they continued to put themselves around that circumstance. And before long, they allowed themselves to be convinced that it really wasn't so bad. That whatever it was they were looking at or whatever it was they were going to participate in, they convinced themselves, oh God, this will be okay. And that was running through their mind. Guilt was setting in. And guilt is powerful. Guilt weighs you down. And they were completely worried at this point as he was making his way up those steps and he was getting up into the tabernacle. What is going to take place today? They were wondering. You see, because when people get power and authority, 
They have rule over you. You have no control over what they might do. And we can understand this ourselves because we think about, well, has anybody ever worked in fast food? Anybody ever waited on tables? Anybody ever done something like that? Well, I can recall in my own mind being at Steak and Shake and, and working there and, and cooking the burgers and, and, and sweating over the grill. So if you ever showed up late and you saw all that smoke while I was cooking your food and it, it looked pretty cool because you could hear them slapping and tapping and turning the burgers, if you only could see the sweat that was pouring off my head onto your food, you would think that that was not right. But yet you would be out there asking me to get done quick and I could not get done quick if I was not constantly leaning over the grill. But it was days like that where I was slaving and, and I would look at the other guy who had been there several years and, and the managers always were just persistent to put him down and to, to ride his back and he would work so hard just to earn the trust of the manager. But that manager and their role of authority and in their place where they could just talk to him, they did that. They talked to him any way they wanted to. And they constantly put him down, and, and he just constantly worked as hard as he could to get their attention. But nothing ever worked. And one day the managers were late, and they didn't show up for almost half of a shift. And it was me and that man working. And I couldn't believe it. Not for a second. Could, I couldn't even get angry. I was so, so stunned by how he reacted. He assumed the role of manager right away. And here I was working and there was no conversation from him to me saying, Juan, we're going to work together and we're going to accomplish this and, and we're going to get this done and we're going to do it for the company and, and good job, Juan, for doing that or good job for doing this. But he assumed right into their position. And with that little bit of authority that he put on for himself, he started bossing me around. He started acting like I wasn't good enough and he started talking to me just like that. Put yourself in the position. You're at work. The owner of the company walks up. You're at your desk. You're working as hard as you can trying to get things done. you got deadlines to meet. And the owner walks up with a cup of coffee and he's getting ready to say something to you and he stumbles over something on your shirt, your new shirt, your new blouse, on all your paperwork. And you look up and you realize it's the owner of the company. And immediately what comes out your mouth is, you know how important this was, but you start saying, don't worry about it. It's not that important. I'll get this cleaned up. It's only a shirt, boss. Don't worry about it. And he appreciates that and cleans up his mess and he walks off. But flip that around and you're the owner of the company. And you're sitting at your desk and you're working hard. And you're trying to meet deadlines and you're trying to build clientele. And, and then here comes old Johnny from the mailroom who always is attached to something fumbling and falling. And as he goes past your desk and wants to hand you the mail... He hits your coffee cup all over your desk, all over your papers. Now things could turn out a little bit differently right there because you're in a place of power and you're in a place of authority. You're not the one in subject, you're the one that's over him. And how much easier it is for somebody when they are put into a place of power and authority to abuse that. We can look throughout history and we see people like Hitler who, who moved up in their ranks and they assumed a large mass amount of authority and a large amount of power and they used that to destroy people, to, to pull people down. What about the story about Nebuchadnezzar? He was king and he said you will bow. I, he put rules and he said you will obey these rules or you will die. If you do not do what I say, you will go into the furnace. 
And that's how people with authority and kings all throughout history have played out. And here we are on the Day of Atonement. And the people know that God Almighty is getting ready to meet them. And He hasn't been by last month. He wasn't by four months ago. This is His one time stop through each year. And they know what it's like for someone with a little bit of authority because they remember what it was like to be in Egypt and Pharaoh to be ruling over them. And for him to say, you will do this or we will crack the whip. And if you do not obey this, we will put you down. And you were very close to being guaranteed that if you just deliberately disobeyed Pharaoh, it would cost you your life. And they knew these things and mixed with the emotions of falling short of what God requested of them this year. They were trembling as the priest entered into the tabernacle. And you've got to think about a little bit of power corrupts a little bit. But here is God Almighty with full authority, full power. The one that created these people, the one that made everything, he spoke and it happened. Nobody could ever question his authority or his power. If he wanted it, it would be. And he's going to meet them on this day. And what would his reaction be? Is he showing up to look at all the shortcomings of the people so that he can cast judgment on them? Is he going to destroy the people? Is he going to bring fire? Is he going to bring a flood? Is he going to wipe everybody out? Because they have fallen so short of what he's requested of them. And it's not just a request that he gave that he wanted to see them obey, but it was things he put into their life that would benefit them. It was things that were put there to protect them, to guide them, and to have a relationship that was right with him. And they fell short. But he was not there to destroy. He was not there at that moment, at that time, on that day, the seventh month, and the tenth day, to judge the people. He wasn't there to squash anybody. He wasn't there to point at anyone. He wasn't there to call anybody out and embarrass them in front of the rest of the camp. But he came on that day for one purpose. There was only one thing he wanted to accomplish, and he wanted to cover the sins with the blood. He wanted to make atonement for the people so that they would not have to die for their sins. You see, the sins did not just get brushed away. Something had to take place. There had to be somebody that was going to die for the sins. And God made a way and created a substitute so that the people would not perish. I know that people every day deal with guilt. And we've got that going through our mind about our shortcomings and our mistakes. We have problems and we go through trials and, and we question ourselves and we wonder how come I dealt with that in that way. God has been so good to me, I can't believe I gave in to that trial or that temptation. How could I be so foolish? How could I be so ignorant? How could I be so willing to let something like that get close enough to me to destroy me or to bite me with that bite of poison? And it just starts rumbling through your mind and through your heart until the guilt starts weighing on you so much that you come to a service and the presence of God meets you there. And he's got only one thing he wants to do for you, only one thing that he wants to accomplish, and that is to allow you the opportunity to put your sins underneath the blood. 
He's not showing up in a service to stop you from succeeding in life. He's not showing up in a service to hold you back from being something he called you to be. He's not showing up to crush you or to destroy you. When God shows up in our services, he is wanting to make a way for us to succeed. He is wanting for us to get away from our guilt. He is wanting for us to get away from our sin. He did not come to this world to condemn us, but to save us. Don't let anybody else convince you of anything else. There was only one purpose for the Messiah. There was only one reason why the only begotten Son of God came to this world. And it was not to condemn us. It was to save us so that we could have everlasting life. So that we would not perish. And he's saying to us, just like he did on that day, put it underneath the blood. Whatever it is you're going through, Whatever it is you're facing, whatever thing's weighing you down, put it underneath the blood. There is a place for everything you're carrying, and it's underneath the blood. God intended for you to approach him and place it there and leave it there. He doesn't want you to carry those weights that are on your back today. He doesn't want you to be hindered in this race. He wants you to put it underneath blood. He wants it to be underneath the blood. And you say, well, you know what? I've made so many mistakes. I've had so many shortcomings, so many faults, and I just don't know how I can make it. And you tell yourself that over and over again until you rob yourself from what God wants to do. He wants to accomplish some great things in, in your life, but the guilt from mistakes is weighing you down. And and God's just saying, you know what? I'm here. My blood is here. I've shed it and I've made a way. And all I'm asking for you to do today is to put it underneath the blood. You don't have to sacrifice yourself. I've already made the sacrifice. You don't have to find the substitute. I've already provided the substitute. All I'm doing today is asking you to put it underneath the blood. I've seen with my own eyes as people addicted to alcohol sit in the living room or in a room in their house and, and they got the bottle in one hand and, and in the other room they see their children and they're watching their children play and they're thinking to themselves in their drunken stupor how bad they want to be a part of their life. They're thinking about how many times they've let their kids down, how many times they've failed them, how many times they've not been a father. And then the thought starts running through their mind about how many times they've cheated on their wife and, and they've not been there for them and, and they've just failed all the way around. And they look back at the bottle and, they, and there is something inside of them that says, you know what, I do enjoy this and I do like taking a drink of this. And, and when things get real crazy, I can always turn back to the bottle and it does kind of wipe things away. And that man in that same thought, in that same chair, in that same night, starts going through his mind thinking about how he did for a few days last month go without drinking and how good he felt going those few days without getting a hold of the bottle. But then right away, what comes into his mind is when he picked it back up. And he thinks, you know what? I can never get deliverance from this. I can never be free from this. And God is standing right there in that room with that man and he's just saying, please, please, my child, take that drink and put it underneath the blood. Don't hold on to it anymore. Don't let the guilt weigh you down anymore. You failed in the past, but you don't have to fail in the future. You've made mistakes before, 
but the blood is there. And he says, just put that underneath the blood. Don't carry that with you anymore. And it's the same for anybody that's ever faced any addiction, that's ever faced any trial in their life. And, and we've all been through things in a world like we're living in today. we got different challenges that face us. we got the world telling us how, how a woman is supposed to dress. And, and if she doesn't completely reveal herself, then there's no way that she's attractive. And I look at different magazines and, and I think about them. And, and then you pick it up and as you walk down the aisle, you see it and it says, well, this is how you should look. 15 secrets to looking like such and such. And you look at the magazine, you're like, man, she's thin. She's, she's, she seems to be attractive. And, and everybody on TV is talking about her. And everybody on the radio is talking about her. And it's not long before ladies start feeling like they're not attractive at all if they don't look like this. Guys walk by those same magazines. And we look at those same magazines. And we start thinking, mm, what's going on here? We start thinking like, what is this doing right here in my face? And it's not long before something like that can start to take the mind of a man who really wants to do right down a path he doesn't want to go. Pornography is destroying people today. It's destroying marriages. It's destroying people's young people, and it's getting a hold of them. We watched that skit about the Everything song at the conference, and it was a song where, where a lady was working, walking with God, a young lady, and, and different things would come up and try to take a hold of her and walk her down a path she shouldn't have been going. And down this path, she was walking away from God the whole time. And it was different things. It was a model, and it was, it was the enemy trying to convince her to commit suicide and it was a man passing out money and dropping it side by side I mean, and I watched on YouTube today earlier today that same skit but it was done by somebody else and they portrayed it totally different and I liked what I saw because it is so real for what today's times is bringing against us and the man that was passing out the money wasn't just passing out money trying to convince her to follow him but he was passing out money trying to convince her to model herself in ways she shouldn't be modeling herself and that's what we're up against. But ladies and gentlemen, we don't have to fall into those things. We see those temptations and I know they are in our face trying to weigh us down. But I'm telling you now, and no one has to admit anything, but you're never going to deal with the bigger struggle in our day and age besides the lust of the flesh. The flesh is always going to be tempted. And as these days go on, they're putting more and more in front of us trying to weigh us down. You know what it does? It breaks up our families. It breaks up our marriages. How many men today in this day and age go home feeling like their wife isn't who they should be with because they're not... Her wife doesn't look like the person on the TV screen or the person in the magazine. And it's destroying the family. And not just the family, but the children of the family. And God is saying, I know it's right before you, but take your eyes and take those thoughts and put them right here. They will pull you down. No one wants to deal with that subject. That's all right. No one wants to talk about pornography. Nobody wants to talk about the struggles they have in that type of area. Get used to it because that's what we are up against. That's what we're facing. And people are dealing with it all across our movement, not just in our neighborhoods, in our churches, not just in our public schools, in our Christian schools. And God is saying, you know what? I've got something for you guys. This thing is rising up against you, but don't give in to it. This thing is trying to take us out, but we don't got to give in to it. God is standing right here with us, and he's saying, just take those thoughts and those temptations and put them underneath blood. It covers those things. 
It keeps him away from us. He gives us the strength. Put him underneath the blood. Underneath the blood. And you say, God, I've been so broken. Juan, I am so busted, you have no clue how bad I am. I'm such a sinner. The blood doesn't apply to me. I've made too many mistakes. I've crossed too many lines. There's no way that the blood could do that to my life. Romans 5.8 says, But God commendeth His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When this blood was shed for you, you didn't deserve it. When this blood was shed for you, you were a sinner. When the sacrifice was made, you were so far away from God, there was no way to make it home. And He came as a substitute. So that even in your brokenness, even in your disgustedness, even in those times where you've crossed the line over and over again, even when you feel like the children of Israel and you've done things that you knew was wrong, that you knew you shouldn't have done, and you gave in anyways, he's saying this blood is for you. This blood is for you. Well, then why, if this blood is so powerful, why, if it's so powerful, can I continue to walk up to the altar and lay things down and walk away in sometimes minutes, maybe days, maybe weeks, something else gets a hold of me and I'm right back. It might be something different, but it's weighing me down again. It could be something else, but it's tearing my life up again. How come if this blood is so powerful and so strong, how come I can't break free? How come there's not real freedom like you said there would be? How come when I lay down this alcohol, I go back and there's something else waiting for me? How come when I lay down this attitude, I go back and pride is waiting for me? How come when I lay down something, there's always something else? I wish I just could give you a perfect answer for that. But I feel in the Holy Ghost that God has given me some understanding to that exact question. We approach God with our addictions, and that's good. We've got to take those things and lay them under the blood. Whatever it is, whatever problem you're facing, whatever major thing you're going through, and you put it underneath the blood. But sometimes I get myself even confused, and, and I walk towards God, and I, and I, and I take this problem, and I, and I set it out there before God, and I say, God... I need your help. I am broken. I am struggling in this area. And if I don't make it, I know I'm on a way to hell if I can't get free from it. And I need you to come by, Lord, and do what only you can do. And God says, okay, you're crying out for me. Here I come. And he covers you. But then that sin is covered and you leave it there. But God's not just looking for you to stretch out your sins and your shortcomings and put them before him. What God is waiting for is for you to say, okay, this sin problem is not just the alcohol. This sin problem is not just the lust. It's not just this other thing. But this sin problem is in my heart. 
This sin problem starts within me. And what God really wants for me is to be covered in his blood. He doesn't just want my sin to be covered. He wants my life to be covered. He doesn't just want to cover my mishaps and my mistakes. He's saying, Juan, when you wake up, I want to cover your life. I want your soul to be covered with my blood. That way I'm there with you every step of the way. Don't just limit me to covering your mistakes. Don't just limit God to trying to fix your problems. But we have got to put ourselves in a place where he covers our entire life. Because when we walk away from that thing and something else tries to rise up and we're already underneath the blood, we've already got victory. But if we got to go back and say, God, this is where I left it last time. Can I leave it here again? He's going to cover it. He's going to do what he said he would do. He's not short of his promises, but it's not what he wants to accomplish. He came to give life and life more abundantly. He doesn't want you to be struggling. He doesn't want you to go through those trials on a continual basis where you beat yourself up until you hit the ground, where you're sitting in a church service and the presence of God is so powerful and you can't be moved. He's wanting to place you, you, underneath his blood. He's wanting to place you underneath his blood. Ever since we started talking about the tabernacle, I've not been able to shake the thought that God would come once a year to meet with the people. One time a year. And why? He came to cover the sins and make atonement for a people that were not being faithful. If you could stand with me, I'm going to be closing. Revelations chapter 20. Revelations chapter 20, verse 11 through 15. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them, and run from it. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. I am grateful for a God that says, Come unto me. Come unto me. I know you've fallen, but if you adhere to what I'm saying, I will cover you with my blood. And today, that's what God is in this room to do. He wants to remind every one of us, no matter how great or how small our shortcomings may seem, that those things will always be under the blood if we put our lives underneath the blood. And there will always be strength and a way of atonement for us through Christ Jesus if we want it. But there will come a day when the blood will be no longer available to us. 
where forgiveness will be no longer within the reach of the people. There will come a day when that will end and we will all be judged. And it said they tried to run, but they could not hide from his face. They could not get away. So when we make it to that day, and judgment comes our way, will he see, this is my question, will he see your sin, or will he see the blood? Will it be your sin, or will it be the blood? Brother Steve, if you could come up and just play a little song for us, just a little melody. I want us to pray that God is here and he's been here from the beginning of this service in such a powerful way. And everything really led up to what I was saying from the songs that we're saying, to the words that he mentioned, to Sister Lifer's testimony. And I assure you tonight that God is wanting us all to put ourselves underneath his blood. Everything in our lives belong to Him. Remember when you get up in the morning to walk in the comfort and protection of His blood. When you're at work to be submitted and underneath His blood. When things go wrong and you're having hard times, Brother Aaron, when your tools are stolen for the second time in just a few months, make sure you're walking in the blood. When you're on your high times, on the peaks of the mountain. You've got to be sure that you're underneath the blood. So if we could, for just a minute, take a moment to just talk to God, and, and no one has to look to you and judge you because we all need the blood. And whatever it is in your life that you're going through, let your mind wander upon those things. But when you come to an end of that, remember that it is all of you that needs to be under the blood and not just those things that you can recall. And so, God, I ask you, Lord, tonight to draw us underneath your blood, to draw us, God, into your presence, into a place where we can hide our shortcomings, a place, God, where our sins can be forgiven. God, we need your help and your strength. We need your might and your power. And so many times, God, the guilt weighs upon us. And becomes too much for us to bear. And God, I pray for this group that in those moments they would remember that there was a sacrifice made. And there was blood shed that was strong and powerful enough to cover not only those things they're going through, but to cover their entire life. There is freedom and there is redemption in your blood, God. We can walk, God, in liberty. We can be free to worship you. When we show up in your house and your presence is with us, we can worship with our entire heart wholeheartedly. We don't have to hold back because of guilt, God, because that guilt can be submitted under the blood. Those things don't have to rule us. They don't have to control us. God, I pray especially, Lord, for those little things that we allow to creep into our hearts, that we put those under the blood. It's easy, Lord, for us so many times to see the huge sins, to look at alcohol or to look at some huge bad attitude or, or to look at theft or to look at something like that as being lost and broken. But so many times, God, pride will be in our heart. 
So many times, God, negative thoughts will enter in. Hate may enter in. Jealousy may enter in. We may have looked at something we should not have looked at, God. And I pray that in those little things that Satan lets sneak into our heart, that we would submit them underneath the blood. We would surrender them all to you, God. Don't let us be tricked into believing that we're too far gone that we can't put it under the blood. And don't let us ever be tricked into believing that it's so small that you won't care. Because you want everything to be underneath the blood. So we thank you, Lord.